You're listening to Book Insights, brought to you by Memoed. Finding and simplifying the world's most powerful ideas to fit into your lifestyle. Each episode is a deep dive into a nonfiction bestseller that can change your life or make you think. In around 30 minutes, you'll learn all about a book that offers wisdom for your life, career, or business. So get ready to live and work smarter, better, and happier with Book Insights. How as a species did we get to where we are? How are we doing today? What kind of future awaits us? Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind is a book that dares to tackle the biggest questions about the progress of humanity. Author Yuval Noah Harari struggles against the idea that the study of history is a dusty affair involving arcane debates about the reigns of forgotten kings. Instead, he pulls together familiar bits of history to create a much bigger story about the progress of our species. This is history on a vast canvas. Sapiens also shines a light on the deep origins of human capacities that we mostly take for granted, including the ability to reason and to cooperate with each other. He shows why these things have made us the most brilliant and the most deadly animal on the planet. With the publication of Sapiens, Harari broke the academic mold. It's a publishing phenomenon with over 10 million copies sold in many languages. In this book insight, we'll cover the rise of humans through three big revolutions, and we'll look at Harari's thinking on what's enabled greater human community. The cognitive revolution took place some 70,000 years ago, leading to the rise of Homo sapiens the agricultural revolution that unfolded 12,000 years ago, the unification of the human race that started 2,000 years ago, and the scientific revolution that began 500 years ago. We'll end by drawing up humanity's report card. Has all the dizzying progress since prehistoric times been worth it? Finally, we'll consider Harari's thoughts about the future, that we're living in the last days of Homo sapiens, and that a new version of our species, powered by technology, is just around the corner. Let's start with the cognitive revolution. For millions of years, despite their big brains, humans were an insignificant animal. Hunters, yes, but hunters who lived in fear of being hunted. Here's Harari talking with TVO regarding early humans. The bodies and minds of Homo sapiens evolved for hundreds of thousands of years in adaptation to life as hunter-gatherers, uh, climbing trees to pick apples and running after gazelles and going to the woods to look for mushrooms. Then, around 100,000 years ago, Homo sapiens leapt to the top of the food chain. As they rose to dominance, they began using their minds in unprecedented ways possibly as a result of a mutation in their brains. This mental shift, the cognitive revolution, seems to have taken place around 70,000 years ago. The most significant effect of this revolution was the invention of complex forms of language, like using a limited set of sounds to represent a limitless number of meanings. Language enabled humans to communicate information to each other, which aided their survival. Where's the nearest herd of bison? What's the best way to avoid lions? Can that plant heal us? The invention of language made possible sophisticated kinds of cooperation. 
It was this that enabled humans to completely dominate the world. Language allows humans to talk about each other and learn about the people around them. This creates the social information needed for individual humans to band together into social units, where 150 is about the ideal number. This will expand the depth and breadth of their cooperation and their power. Ants and lions cooperate, but humans were able to cross the threshold from cooperation within intimate communities of 100 or 150, like those of apes, to the creation of societies of thousands and millions of individuals, most of whom have never met. Humans did this when they learned language to make up stories. Stories aren't only a form of entertainment. They're the glue that binds large groups of people together who may not know each other personally. Stories make possible the most complex kinds of cooperation, those to do with politics, economics, and religion. Complex cooperation requires a host of stories and myths, whether about gods, about the nature of fairness, or about the historical mission of a clan or nation. This applies just as much to our own civilizations as it did to the early bands of humans who created the first cities. Perhaps we might feel uncomfortable at how our own society is based on something as flimsy as a story. Our early ancestors might have bonded while dancing around campfires and telling tales about ghosts and spirits. But surely we're more rational than them. In fact, most of today's institutions depend on powerful stories. What strange collective imagination is needed for me to believe that this objectively worthless piece of paper I'm holding shall be taken as a legally binding form of exchange? What possesses us to believe that small squares of worthless plastic or paper will buy us a meal or a new coat? The Peugeot Corporation pumps out thousands of vehicles a year, creating solid things that we can see and touch. But the company itself exists by virtue of abstract legal codes, which asserts that it exists. These codes are our modern versions of religious doctrines or spells. As Harari puts it, Modern business people and lawyers are, in fact, powerful sorcerers. The principal difference between them and tribal shamans is that modern lawyers tell far stranger tales. When humans learn how to tell stories like this and get other humans to believe in them, these imagined realities gain a power at least as revolutionary as the taming of fire. It would be impossible to create nations, churches, or legal systems if we were only able to speak about things that really exist. Money, human rights, and the American dream are all imagined realities. As long as we all believe in them, they affect the world around us. In a sense, they create our world. So the cognitive revolution gave rise to a dual reality of the real and the imaginary. We're surrounded by trees, rivers, and lions, as well as gods, nations, and corporations. Imagined realities eventually become so powerful that today, the survival of real things such as trees and lions often depend on the favor of imaginary things like governments. It's through the creation and manipulation of new social and cultural realities that humans offset and transcend their genetic makeup. Natural selection implies that strength be expressed in the passing on of genes. But over the centuries, 
this was contradicted by the power of celibate priests. Other imagined realities allow us to build nations and empires, and to trade with people on the other side of the world. They allow the rapid social innovation that we take for granted, and truly set us apart from apes and chimpanzees. With the advent of the cognitive revolution and of imagined realities, human history broke free from the constraints of biology. Let's take a break for now. But first, let's recap what we've learned from Harari Sapiens. We've covered one of the earliest revolutions in human history, the Cognitive Revolution. This was set off by the mutation of the early human mind. People were able to communicate not only directions, but stories, which shaped civilization more than we give credit. Next, we'll look at the agricultural and scientific revolutions. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over a hundred titles you can read or listen to now at memodapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. We're continuing our look into Sapiens, a brief history of humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. A central theme of the book is that over thousands of years, isolated human communities fused together into an even more global and unified civilization. The rise of money, empires, and religion helped bring this about. Previously, we've looked at how cognitive evolution allowed us to communicate, and more importantly, form stories. Much of our history today functions based on people communicating massive amounts of information through the stories we weave. Now we'll ask, is the agricultural revolution history's biggest fraud? Then we'll look at how we shape the modern world through the scientific revolution. Humans' next big revolution took place in the Middle East 12,000 years ago when we domesticated plants and animals. With the agricultural revolution, our hunter-gatherer forebearers settled down and became farmers. A common interpretation is that humans used their intelligence to invent new methods of producing food, leading to an easier life for all. But Harari calls the revolution history's biggest fraud. What does he mean by this? Today's prosperity may be built on the agricultural revolution, but this doesn't mean that it was good for those who lived through its early stages. It fulfilled an evolutionary imperative, allowing more people to survive. But from the individual's point of view, the rise of agriculture was a trap. It's true that the settled agricultural life could support a greater population because of its increased food production. However, larger populations put pressure on supply, and farmers soon found themselves having to work even harder to keep up with an even bigger population. Farming meant long hours of boring, back-breaking toil compared to foraging for food, which only took a few hours. Foraging was highly absorbing and different every day. Moreover, the diet of foraging communities was much more varied and better than that of farming peoples. But once the process was underway, people forgot what life was like before. 
The agricultural revolution had effects far beyond its immediate goal of increasing food supply. Once humans settled down, they became attached to the land and to their homes. The land became their land, and people now lived on human islands, villages and towns surrounded by the wild. This was hard for them to leave. People lived in more confined physical spaces, but their sense of time expanded. The demands of sowing and harvesting meant that farmers had to think about the future like never before. The food they produced fed soldiers, kings, and poets, and so supported even more sophisticated practices of war, politics, and art. These new kinds of social existence were a new kind of imagined reality. Today, we call them social orders. Social orders are products of our mind and can't be passed on in our DNA. They have to be preserved and transmitted in laws and codes, in an ocean of numbers and data, and in thousands of norms which together create politics, economics, and bureaucracy. No single brain can hold on to all of this. To construct complex societies, humans had to escape the limits of the individual mind. The Mesopotamians achieved this by inventing writing. For the first time, humans were able to transfer the knowledge contained in particular brains onto objects located outside of them, which others could later access. This made possible the complex forms of administration needed for the creation of cities and empires. In the distant past, humans lived in discrete worlds that never collided. A person on another continent might as well have lived on the moon. Now, nearly all of us live in nations governed by legal systems, and mostly under capitalist economies. Trade and international law links us together. Many of us wear the Western uniforms of jeans and t-shirts at home, and suits and ties at work, whether we're in Washington, Cairo, or New Delhi. It was in the first millennium BC that there emerged the idea of universal orders that applied to all humans. This came with the rise of money and the idea that all humans are potential customers. It arrived through the rise of empires and the notion that all humans could be potential subjects. And it emerged via universal religions like Buddhism and Christianity, which held that all humans are potential believers. In short, the idea of a potentially unified humankind was driven by merchants, conquerors, and prophets. Let's look in more detail at the impact of money and religion. Money is an imagined reality based on mutual confidence. Everyone recognizes coins or bank balances as being worth something. Trust, therefore, is the raw material from which all types of money are minted. Money acts as a unifier of humanity because, for example, Christians and Muslims accept each other's coins even if they can't agree about the nature of God. Coins don't discriminate on the basis of gender, religion, or sexual orientation. In many ways, money is the most open and tolerant system that humans have created. Here's Harari in his TED Talk. Money, in fact, is the most successful story ever invented and told by humans. Not everybody believes in God. Not everybody believes in human rights. But everybody believes in money. 
Money also has a dark side. When we say money is a universal system of trust, what we're really saying is that you trust the money of the shopkeeper or the foreign investor, not the actual person. Money can corrode communities and emotional bonds between people. Even as humans embraced money because of its power to unify them, they also resisted it and tried to protect certain areas of life from the full force of the market. We often think of religion as a cause of division, but the rise of universal religions has in fact been a major unifying force. All religions began as local and exclusive to a particular people. Their followers would have had no interest in spreading their beliefs beyond their own religion, but over time, local religions and cults gave way to more powerful deities in polytheistic or multi-god systems. These were often the spiritual underpinnings of farming societies which needed new gods to help man control the natural world. Gradually, monotheistic religions grew up and came to dominate. Unifying religions like Christianity believe in a superhuman order that isn't confined to a single forest or plain, but applies to humans everywhere. These kinds of religions emerged in the first millennium BC and tended to be strongly missionary wanting to spread their beliefs to as many people as possible, including those in distant lands. We tend to assume that the last few hundred years have seen a growing secularism, but Harari argues that today we're ruled by religions of humanity, including liberalism, communism, and capitalism. These have a lot in common with traditional religion. They have trust in a superhuman order, whether of market forces or the spirit of the nation which aren't dependent on individual human whims. Religions of humanity are based on the worship of Homo sapiens. They profess that humans are sacred, unique, and superior to all other animals. 500 years ago came the last big revolution, science. The scientific revolution brought us unprecedented new powers and involved a profound shift in our worldview. It's still unfolding today. It's not that humans up until then hadn't tried to understand the world around them. They'd been trying to since the cognitive revolution. What was different about the scientific revolution was that people were willing to admit their own ignorance. They understood that today's wisdom could be proven false tomorrow. Pre-modern civilizations didn't admit fundamental ignorance. Everything worth knowing was contained in holy texts, and if you needed to know something, all you had to do was ask your priest. But the scientific revolution changed all this. Its assumption that all knowledge is changing has made science the most dynamic and supple system of understanding ever devised. The cognitive and agricultural revolutions gave rise to cities and empires, but the basic building blocks of society still remained the family and the community. Capitalism and the industrial revolution which was powered by the scientific revolution, changed that. The new social myth of individualism said that you were the master of your own destiny, free to live where you want and marry who you want, even to choose your own religion or belief system. The market would provide you with a job, and the state would educate your children and look after you if you got sick. This has been a mixed blessing. People in individualistic societies 
gain new possibilities as they break free from the restrictive and oppressive communities. Women and children are no longer seen as the property of their fathers and husbands. On the other hand, millions of years of evolution has conditioned us to live together. We often feel the loss of community and family and the pain of being alienated individuals in a world dominated by markets and the state. Our need to belong hasn't gone away. New imagined realities that give us the feeling of contribution partially fulfills us. The imagined community of the nation became dominant over the last few centuries. In recent decades, as globalization has undermined the power of nations, communities of consumer and ethical tribes have become ever more important. Harari writes, a German vegetarian might well prefer to marry a French vegetarian than a German carnivore. Let's break for now. But first, let's go over what we've covered this time on Harari's sapiens. We've gone over how the agricultural revolution both fed larger populations and also hardened the lives of farmers. Then, we went over how money and religion are unifying mankind. Then we looked at how everything has led up to the scientific revolution. We'll conclude next time as we discuss humanity's report card and the next stage of Homo sapiens. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodeapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. We're concluding our look into Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. It's the book that made Yuval Noah Harari into an international star of big thinking. Previously, we've gone over how the agricultural revolution placed humans in a rough position. It increased food supplies for massive populations, but also made life for the farmer incredibly hard. Then, we looked at the unification benefits of money and religion. Then we ended on how science molded the modern world. Now, we'll look at humanity's report card. Then we'll end with looking ahead at what humanity may become. Once a marginal species, Homo sapiens now rules the world. Our dominance shows up in a few brute physical facts. Our farm animals weigh 700 million tons, but the wild animals with which we share our planet and which we're driving into extinction weigh a mere 100 million tons. Here's Harari talking with TVO. Uh, beginning about 50, 60, 70,000 years ago, one human species, our species, Homo sapiens, suddenly became extremely intrusive and extremely destructive and changed the face of the Earth mm. completely. We're exploiting the planet's resources like never before. But through technology, we're creating new resources all the time, too, either through discovery or extraction. We've climbed to the top through a series of revolutions, cognitive, agricultural, and scientific, and through the unification of humankind via the effects of economics, politics, and religion. Yet Harari doesn't just want to explain the rise of Homo sapiens, but to take stock of it. 
to write Humanity's Report Card. Where have we succeeded? And where have we failed? Has progress really been worth the trouble? The 20th century brought genocides and two world wars. At the same time, we live in the most peaceful era in history, largely due to the rise of the power of the state. This has supplanted the power of traditional families and communities that settle disputes through violent feuds. International violence has also been at an all-time low since 1945, when empires left the world stage. The invention of nuclear weapons made the cost of war higher than ever, while its economic benefits fell. The most valuable forms of wealth today are human capital and institutions, rather than the traditional war booties of gold and land. Harari doesn't mean to be naively optimistic, though. He says we're on the threshold of both heaven and hell, moving nervously between the gateway of the one and the anteroom of the other. History has still not decided where we'll end up, and a string of coincidences might yet send us rolling in either direction. To be useful, humanity's report card needs to also answer the question of whether all our achievements have made us happier. Was Neil Armstrong, the first of us to step onto the moon, any happier than the nameless hunter-gatherer who 30,000 years ago left her handprint on a wall in Cheve Cave? Historians rarely dare to pose the question, but if all our cities, wealth, science, and industry hasn't made us more happy, what is the actual point? If the report card of human history is a mixed one, then what does it say of our future? Harari believes that the scientific revolution could turn out to be as important as the appearance of life itself. Not only have we learned to overturn natural selection, we've begun the wholesale engineering of new life forms. The creation of superhumans with extraordinary mental and physical capabilities is now a very real possibility. As we manipulate our genes and insert machines and chips into our bodies, we may turn into something other than Homo sapiens. The most groundbreaking achievement would be the creation of a direct computer-to-brain interface. The resultant being would no longer really be human. Through biological and bionic engineering, and through the development of artificial intelligence, we're moving towards an era in which evolution will be replaced by intelligent design. But the designer is humanity, rather than God. Here's Harari again in his TED Talk. So it is a distinct possibility that computers will outperform us in most tasks and will make humans redundant. And then the big political and economic question will be, what do we need humans for? What do we need so many humans for? We may be living in the last days of sapiens. Perhaps future humans will look down on us as we look back on the Neanderthals. In the story of Frankenstein, human hubris leads to the creation of a monster, a being that turns out to be inferior to its inventor. But in the future, we may create a new species of human, more majestic and powerful than we can imagine. The idea that we may be vastly inferior to human beings is a disturbing thought, but if we're really turning into something else, we have to be clear on what we want to become. Homo sapiens took over the world. The next stage is our becoming gods. 
our success as a species has not necessarily improved the lives of individual humans or of the animals that we share our planet with. We remain restless and discontented. We flail around in the pursuit of short-term goals and pleasures, unsure of what we truly want, and wreak destruction on the planet in the process. And so Harari concludes his account of the epic human journey with a warning. Is there anything more dangerous than dissatisfied and irresponsible gods who don't know what they want? Sapiens is one of those books that in the vastness of its vision has the power to lift you out of petty everyday concerns. It makes the most pressing questions of politics and economics seem trivial. Trump's immigration policies or the economic impact of Brexit are small fry compared to the question of what kind of species we want to become. It's a rare kind of book that does this, and Sapiens is an exhilarating read. Sapiens made Harari into an intellectual rock star, but the book's extraordinary success took everyone by surprise. Although clearly written and aimed at the general reader, it's full of challenging discussions of historical, economic, and philosophical questions. Upon its release in 2011, most booksellers expected it to sell no more than a few thousand copies. Instead, it has sold millions. Amid a sea of smartphones, its bold cover is now a common sight on public transport. This seems to be evidence that after a hard day's work, many people feel drawn to deep questions of history rather than to the latest celebrity Twitter spat. Before we conclude this book insight, let's go over everything we've learned from Harari Sapiens. We've looked at the three revolutions from human history. The cognitive revolution was the neurological leap that gave early humans the ability to communicate directions and, most importantly, stories. The agricultural revolution provided larger populations the means to feed themselves, although it hardened life for the farmer. The scientific revolution pushed humanity into the modern world and will hopefully lead us into the next stage of humanity. By fusing the human mind with technology, we're on the fringe of creating a new entity that will surpass its mortal creators. In its vast sweep of history, Sapiens offers a way of finding one's intellectual and moral footing against a backdrop of political, cultural, and economic instability and anxiety. Amid the chaos and noise, we leap upon anything that seems to provide clarity. Harari helps us understand the progress of humanity and the world as a single movement. We're sitting in a hot air balloon, gazing down at the planet. Its history and future has its dangers, but it's exhilarating to get such a bird's eye view. Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice.